My name is Danae Reed and I want to welcome you to the part of life where mothers do not physically, emotionally, or mentally exist. Welcome to Damn Mom Really, which is a podcast that seeks to shed light on grief and open up a conversation about a topic that is often avoided. Again, this is a space for people who have either experienced the loss of a mother or a mother figure and I am so excited to fellowship with you guys. The contents of these episodes is up to the discretion of both my guests and myself and I can trust that they are telling the truth just as much as I am as it feels right for them. Also, noting that the subject matter can potentially be heavy or triggering, we have included a six-minute cool-down meditation by Liliana Rasmussen at the end of this episode for your pleasure. And this soundscape is brought to you by Scott Reed Jr. Welcome to my podcast. Damn, Mom, really? Today I have here with me my grandma, my mom, mom the most beautiful angel like, <laughs> in the world, Patricia Eastland. Mom, Mom, how are you feeling today on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I started out as a 5. Okay. I worked up to about an 8. Oh. So I'm good. What prompted the jump? I came up to see my grandkids and my grand, uh, my, mm, Your grand, son-in-law. Yeah, my son-in-law. Yeah. So, like, typically, before everything happened this year mm-hmm. uh, with mommy, like, where do you feel like you laid, lied, laid, like, on a scale of 1 to 10? Most of the time, I re- averaged about a 9. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, obviously, we're not here to talk about my mom. We're here to talk I about know, your mom. But that's okay. But okay. So, first question: How long has it been since your mom passed, and mm. how old were you when you lost her? I was thirty-two when my mom passed, and I am now almost seventy-five. Mm. So that's what forty-seven 40. years in there. Yeah. And do you still find yourself missing her? Yeah, just almost, not every day like I used to, but I still miss her. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I wasn't raised by her, Mm -hmm. I got to know her pretty good. And um, it's still, I don't think whether you're raised by your mother, by your parents, Mm -hmm. or your foster parents or whatever your parent is always your biological parent is always somewhere in there yeah so whether you're raised by them and see them every day day in and day out or not when they're gone it's it's like like a part of you is missing yeah yeah well how did you rectify that when you first lost your mom because you guys didn't necessarily have the closest relationship but of course like you said she's your mom so was it any like sort of confusion around her loss for you um not really because when my mother passed it was at a time frame when i had consciously started going around her more Mm. and talking to her and I basically did it because I had children. And I wanted them to, to get to know her, mm. even if I didn't. Mm. And I think I was about 16 when I first really started talking to her. Okay. And I knew her as a, when I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. Like, she even nursed me. Okay. But I guess maybe by the time I was around 18 months, 18 months to two years, somewhere around there, was when my aunt sort of took over. Okay. And I didn't find out until later that my aunt really wasn't my aunt. She was a foster parent. But that's a whole long story, a whole other thing. But anyway, she took over raising me. Okay. Because my mom really wasn't, she had, she was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and didn't, because um, she had a lot of issues going on and she turned to alcohol to help her. Yeah. So she wasn't there. 
and uh, there were times when my aunt would just be like, stay away from her. So that's why that's I didn't heavy. really, yeah, that's why I didn't really get to know her. Mm. And there were times when she would make me, like if I if I wanted to see my mom, I would sit on the steps or on the front porch rather. And I would wait because I knew when my mom got off from work and she had to walk all the way back from where she worked. Mm -hmm. And it would always go past my aunt's house. Mm. And mom would walk past, but to keep me from getting in trouble and to keep, everything okay she would just walk by she wouldn't say anything to me but she would know I was sitting on that porch wow and she would walk by so I would see her wow and by the time I was 16 I was like you know what I need to talk to her oh so you made the decision I made the decision wow so I talked to her because my aunt was um stern hmm. I'll put it that way so do you feel like you, or do you ever feel like you have any sort of resentment from your, uh, uh, towards your aunt for keeping you away from your Tons. mom? Tons. Yeah. Tons. Because obviously the show is about mothers and mother figures and people who raised you, like women who raised you. I went 18 years with her mm. and never got a hug. Wow. Not once. Wow. That I can remember. Because mm. I was, like I said, I was little. Right. So and she took over, but she was always there. She was there from my birth. Wow. Because her mother was my mom's foster mother. Wow. Wow. And so by the time that you're ready to talk to your mom, you're about like 16. Right. And so that kind of, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. What was the process like of getting to know her for yourself and not necessarily being like, or your desires to get to know her be suffocated by other people? Well, I guess when, when I was younger, I used to daydream about my mom mm -hmm. because I had a friend, Sharon, mm -hmm. who is Kim's mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Sharon had a mother and a father. So I was always around them. Mm -hmm. And I used to always be like, I guess fantasizing. So I always called Sharon's mother Aunt Janet. Okay. Because she was she was there, you know, hugging and, and all those kind of things. Yeah. So I had her mm -hmm. and her husband, Uncle Mel. Mm -hmm. So I grew up, Sharon and I grew up as cousins. Okay. That's what we always called each other. So now, our kids are cousins. Mm -hmm. But she knew my mom. You know, I mean, they, everybody knew my mother. Yeah. But she just wasn't there. So I guess I, I, I fantasized mm -hmm. about what a mom should be. Mm -hmm. or And it was the same thing because my father wasn't around either. Yeah. So I would fantasize about, I would make these make-believe families. And I would have make-believe friends. Oh, <laughs> Don't start me crying. But I would do all of that. And um, I got to know Mommy, I think, better. Because when I met her, <laughs> I wanted her to think that I was grown, right? Aww. So, and I've never. But you mean your mom? Yeah, when okay. I met my, when I really got chance to start talking, because I would sneak off mm -hmm. to go see her. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. And and this was like when I was like 15, 16. But by the time I was sixteen, I really wanted to know her. Mm -hmm. And because so you a, liked her, huh? You liked her. Yeah, mm -hmm. I liked her. And she would babysit me sometimes. I guess that's the way I could put it. Mm. And I might spend the weekend with them when I was like six, seven years old. But she was always living in somebody else's house in a room in their house. Wow. So when I would go there, and like I said, she was an alcoholic. It was a lot of stuff that went on that I shouldn't have okay. been around. Right. So my aunt put a stop to that. Mm -hmm. So then I really didn't get to know her mm -hmm. when I was little. Yeah. But then when I got older, like I said, around 16, I remember when I really wanted to talk to her because by then 
I had met the love of my life. Mm. I know that sounds funny. Puff up, yeah. But at 16, I knew that's who I wanted to marry. That's so sweet. And I met her. So I never smoked cigarettes. I never did any of that thing. So I remember I was on um, 9th Street by where we used to live, where my aunt and I used to live. And mom was coming up the street. So... I grabbed one of my aunt's cigarettes oh, and lit God. it, and I started smoking a <laughs> cigarette. So I wanted to appear like you were, like I was grown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I started talking to her. My mom was laughing because I was choking, yeah. and she laughed at me. She said, "You don't know how to smoke a cigarette." Aww. And that's one of the things I really remember about her. Mm -hmm. And I remember her hair, her eyes. Because she was mixed. Mm -hmm. And she looked like an Italian. Yeah. And um, she's very pretty. And she had this long jet black hair. And I wanted to impress her. Because in my, my, in, in my world, I felt ugly oh, in no. comparison to her and my older sister. Because my older sister looked like her. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like the little ugly duckling. Because oh, I had Not this blonde cool. hair. It was curly. It was unruly. It was not. Ugh. You're not even close, woman. <laughs> I know. I know. So you got to know her when you were 16, and yeah. then you had 16 years with her, right? Before she passed, and I felt cheated. Mm. Do you still feel cheated? Yeah. What does that like feel like? Like what? It, what all goes into that? Well, I guess it's like. It's been 40-some years, but some days I'll look in the mirror, and I'm like, Mom, why aren't you here? Mm -hmm. You know, even though I know she'd be like 100 or something <laughs> yeah. now, you know, mm -hmm. but I, I look in the mirror, and I'm like, I wish you could have been here to yeah. see the girls grow up. Yeah. And she, I think Aunt Reese was 16, 17. When she passed, so when then mommy passed. would have been like, like fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, and, at least and they got Charlene to know her. was like twelve. Like a yeah. But okay. they, I mean, you know, the good thing about it is they used to take their bikes and ride over there. Mm -hmm. And she, I guess she was trying to make up for for not, not being, being with me. Yeah. She was the awesome grandmother. Mm. They would ride over there, even though she didn't have anything. Because I think she only made like $42. A week? Yeah. Wow. And when she got her um, Social Security, it was maybe 102 something wow. like that, a month. Wow. So she really didn't, you know. So I would buy her stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember I bought her a coat. I would buy her and whatever I thought I could get for her. I said, come on, Mom, let's go to the store. Mm -hmm. And I would get her things. And um, the girls would get on their bikes and ride to her house, mm -hmm. which now I would was, yeah. be terrified if my little kids got on a bike and rode across the city. Right. And that's what they would do. They'd go over there, and no matter what time of day it was, what whatever, my mother would have a bag of potato chips. That's so sweet. In that house for them girls. So the first feeling that you felt after losing your mom was that you felt cheated. Very. Hmm. And how did that affect you in the long run? It made me bitter hmm. for a while. Because I had... Um, I'm going to backtrack now. Because mm -hmm. coming up, like I said, my aunt was a very um, stern person. Okay. And she was a Catholic. Mm. And I don't want to say it to say that I have anything against Catholics because I don't. Mm -hmm. But it made me, the way she would do me and the way I would see her do people, it made me feel like, I didn't want any part of religion. You know, oh, wow. I didn't want to know who God was. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have that. And um, it, it was like, 
I would do things like I read all of Stephen King's books instead of reading the Bible. Oh, wow. And I was in um, this thing they used to call great books when I was coming, because I love to read. Mm -hmm. And I'm not bragging, but my <laughs> intelligent level, intelligence level was such that people were always commenting on how smart I was. Even still. It, yeah, how much I could learn and how fast I caught on and everything that I did. Mm -hmm. It was always somebody saying they had never seen any kid like that. Right. And I would read, I would devour books. And we were in this thing called Great Books. And I was reading, they, they assigned us to read the New Testament. I threw the book in the closet and quit. Wow. I didn't read it. And I didn't I didn't want anything to do with a God who would put me through what I had gone through. Mm. But I finally got my I finally I guess I got into the the, the right family or the wrong family. <laughs> I don't know how you put it. But your pop pop came from a very religious family. Mm -hmm. His mom was very open, very loving. Um, he always went to church. I was like, I passed, mm -hmm. you know. And we got married. My sister had a, a brought in a minister. And I still was like, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. So I went through my 20s not believing in Christ. And I think when I was, because of the girls and my next door neighbor, Margaret was like, no, you got these kids. They need to go to church. Mm -hmm. So Margaret started taking the girls to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And when she would take them to Sunday school, I'd lay, lay in the house and watch the TV or go to sleep. Right. So one of the common themes I'm noticing like in everything you're saying is like mothers or mother figures or just like the importance of them, whether they, they I've failed had, you or did great or was kind of like somewhere in between or just kind of lost. So for you, like how did you learn how to be a mother? Um, <laughs> you know how um, Tyler Perry made his character Medea mm -hmm. and when you ask him he tells you that he took it from a collective of different women in his family mm -hmm. to bring about that one woman Medea right. uh -huh. so I studied all these women that were to be my mother because mm -hmm. they were mothers to me right. I had plenty of mothers right? and I can name them mm -hmm. I had Miss Frances who was my mother's best friend I had my mom, mm -hmm. I had Aunt Mom, who was her, my aunt. Mm -hmm. I had um, Aunt Evelyn, who was a friend of the family. Mm -hmm. And Aunt Evelyn was another one. She would take, she and her husband would take me on, in, like in the summers to Atlantic City. And Aunt Evelyn would have all her nieces and nephews and me and everybody being, in, she was all of us his mother. And she never had a child. Mm. But she... You could be, you could talk to her about anything. You could be with her anytime. And then I had Sharon's mom, Aunt Janet, and I had my stepmother, Nani, and her name was Wanda. Mm -hmm. And then there was Wanda's sister, Aunt Jane, Hilda. Mm -hmm. And I watched all these they, people. Yeah. And as I watched them, Miss Francis never had any kids. Mm -hmm. Um. Aunt Evelyn never had any kids. So it was different. It was different ways they approached. Miss Francis taught me how to cook. Hmm. Um, aunt Mom taught me, because that's what I call my aunt, Aunt mm -hmm. Mom. She taught me what I didn't want mm. out of a family. Also important to know. Yeah, she taught me exactly what I didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. And... The rest of them, like I said, that I learned little things from each one. 
right. from Aunt from Aunt Evelyn, I learned how to treat my husband. Hmm. And I've seen people that have gone through the same thing as I as I have. Mm-hmm. But if you don't glean from people in your life, you don't learn. Hmm. So I always have studied people. Right. So obviously, like the purpose of this podcast is to have really conducive conversations, but also to educate people about grief and, and dealing with it. And it sounds like you had a lot of teaching along the way. So I love yeah. that for you. But when you first lost your mom, obviously, this is in the 70s, right? 70s? Mm-hmm. Was, yeah. Did people talk about grief? Like, how did you kind of, what did no. you do when your mom passed? When, when my mother passed, and, and I did get to see her get saved. Okay. I did manage. I did get that. And at that time, I was saved also. Mm-hmm. But when my, when, when my mother passed, because she had cancer, and she had suffered with it, and I would go to the hospital late at night, it would be so late that the guards would walk me to my car. Wow. It, I wouldn't leave until 10, 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And I worked at General Motors, so I was dead tired yeah. the next day. But I wanted to to get every minute I could with her. Mm-hmm. So when she passed, she passed on my um, 13th wedding anniversary. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. And I can remember just, I had gone out to the hospital that morning to see her, and my sister said, well, you go ahead, I'll be with her, you know, because I was going to go away, and then I I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And my mom kept saying, no, you go, you go, I want you to go away. So I said, okay. And I went home, and my by the time I got home, my sister called and said, mommy's gone. Wow, that quick. And I remember it was my first thought was, God, you did it to me again. Hmm. And I said, it was like, do you ever want me to be happy? Wow. So that's how my grief started. Yeah. Was blaming God. Hmm. And and were you Obviously, like, people didn't really talk about grief and everything at that time. So what did you do to, you know, for yourself? Like, did you, did you journal? Did you, because... No, I didn't journal. I didn't want to. I stopped reading. Mm. I didn't journal. I sort of went into a shell. Okay. The only thing I did was I tried to be normal. For my kids, so I was forcing myself to be okay to be super mom. And and if you could go back to that time, would you have done that the same thing? No. What would you have done differently? I probably would have gotten some help, hmm. like gone to a therapist or yeah, because hmm. I really should have. Yeah. Because it was like I wanted to pick up the phone and call her. Mm-hmm. You know, and for a while I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was like nothing really mattered. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. It was like, okay, we're going to celebrate Christmas. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. But the only reason I'm doing it is because I want my kids to be normal. Mm-hmm. I feel that. So at what point, obviously, you, you dealt with this for a little bit. At what point did you kind of feel invigorated again? Like, do you remember what the thing was that kind of snapped you out of that space? I, just time. Hmm. It took time. Wow. It took time. And I had two really good friends, Miss Margaret, my next-door neighbor, and Christine. Mm-hmm. And they were, there again, mother figures. Mm. And because my kids call Miss Christine my mom. Mm -hmm. But they were um, constantly 
helping me yeah. get through. If I was down, I could go to them and cry. Mm. So I guess you could call them my, my therapist. therapist. <laughs> so you did have people who were kind of there for you to be, um, I guess, vulnerable with and open with. Yeah. So how do you think that that benefit you to at least have, even if it was only one or two people, to have the space to kind of talk about how you were feeling? If I didn't have them, I don't know how I would have handled it. Mm -hmm. Because many a day, I'd be just a puddle. Yeah. You know, and, and it would be like, It would be like, okay, if I didn't have something to occupy me 24-7, mm-hmm. those free times yeah. were panicked. Wow. It was like, because that was my mom. Right. Yeah. And like I said, I always felt cheated. Yeah. Do you think that, I know that you only really got to experience your mom for, you know, realistically for 16 solid years. I find myself feeling cheated too, even though, you know, I had 26, you know, like great years, Ten right? More years. Yeah, <laughs> 10 more. So do you think that people in general who lose their moms feel cheated? And actually, I'll just let you answer that first. Um, it depends on the relationship. Hmm. Because I've talked to people who, and I can't understand that. Mm-hmm. Who don't really. Who don't care. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll tell you one thing I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. I became a Christian counselor. Oh, wow. Like in the light of losing your mom? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And I, I kind of want to, I guess, talk to you a little bit about how losing your mom might have changed your perception of life or death or whatever. Like, did you find that you were also really anxious about losing other people or did you kind of, like, yeah. withdraw from? Um, I know this sounds crazy, but there was a point in my t- my life where I didn't have a conscience, I guess you'd say. Hmm. I didn't care what happened to people. I didn't care. After your mom passed or before? Before. Okay. But it intensified. After. After. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, I'm hurting. Yeah. Really deep. So I don't care if you are or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and like, I, yeah. Because it, it became all about me. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think that's a really natural reaction. Yeah, it became all about me. And I'm like, I don't want to hear about who did what, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But after my mom passed, there was a period in my life where I lost five close family members within the span of maybe about two, three months. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even want to hear the phone ring. Wow. Because it meant... Like, it would be like, oh, man, I got to go through it all over this, all over again. Because mm-hmm. my one cousin, Sarah Lee, passed, and we were at her funeral. And my aunt Ruth, my dad's sister, died at the funeral. Oh, wow. So that was traumatic. Yeah, I could imagine. And at that point... Like I said, I had become a Christian counselor because of mommy. Mm -hmm. And I had to go into counsel mode. I couldn't even, I couldn't allow myself to break up Mm. because my family members were literally falling apart at the funeral. Yeah. And it it was so bad that the undertaker had to come in and move chairs because my aunt just collapsed. And so this is at a time in your life where you're still kind of feeling like you don't have a conscience. And so how what was that like for at you? At that to- point, I was starting to it okay. This is one of one of the things I always say. Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Mm-hmm. And I always would ask God, 
God, help me to develop a spirit, a heart to feel for people, for, you know, and I said, because you know what I, I go through inwardly. Mm -hmm. You know that it's not what you would have me be. Right. And I would ask him, I said, you got to you gotta show me how to gain that strength. I need it from you. And I asked that. I used to ask it all the time because I knew the way I felt. And being a Christian counselor, they didn't go together. What made you decide to care, though? Because I feel like a lot of people do fall into that and they just they don't care. What made me decide to care was when I looked around at my aunt's, when my aunt Ruth dropped dead. And I looked around at my family falling apart. I mean, and when I say falling apart, I mean literally in the in in the funeral home, losing their minds. Yeah. Cause it was like, how do you we're saying goodbye to Sarah Lee, who dies young. She was in her forties. So she's young. Yeah. And we see her and we're going through with that. And here's Aunt Ruth coming in and because and this was Aunt Ruth didn't have any kids either, but she was like all of our Right. And she came in and she sat down and she was sitting there and she started coughing a little bit. And I was actually reading the obituary. When it happened. I was reading, I was standing up reading the obituary because they had asked, because my cousin Patty wanted me to do it. Mm -hmm. So I was actually reading the obituary and I'm reading it. And when I was reading it, I looked down and I saw Aunt Ruth and I saw my cousin Levin Mm -hmm. get up to support her because she was starting to slump and he was picking her up. She said, I need to get outside. I need to get air. Wow. And he lifted her on one side and my Nephew Ricky and who else was that? It was Levin, Ricky, and was it Bus? Well, one of my cousins. I can't remember which one. But they got underneath of her arms, and they were picking her up. And her brother was in back. My Uncle Howard was in back of her trying to maneuver her to get outside so she could get some air. Mm -hmm. And before she got outside, she got past the first Three or four rows. Wow. And she went down. Wow. And when, and the, the undertaker didn't know what to do. I'm sure. Because he deals with the dead. Yeah. He doesn't deal with helping somebody. Right. And when I saw what I saw, and then I saw my family, like my sister, her kids, everybody just went crazy. Yeah. So obviously you've dealt with a lot of grief. How do you think that your perception of it has changed over time, if it has? Well, I now realize inexplicably that we all have to go that way. Mm -hmm. There's an allotted time. We don't know what it is. We don't know how we're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going to take us. We don't know where we're going to be. We don't know what predicament we're going to be in. We don't know what stage of life we're going to be in. Mm -hmm. We don't know if all our bills will be paid or or not. Yeah. We don't know. And by not knowing, I've learned that I have to rely on God. So whatever it happens. Right. So, okay. So that's where I am now, even. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you lost your mom. And then earlier this year, we lost my mom, your daughter. And I know that you said the first thing that came to your mind when you lost your mind, lost your mom and mind <laughs> was that you felt cheated. But that also, you were like, kind of like, God, like, how could you do this to me right. again? Did you find feelings like that coming up when we lost mommy? Wow. What do you attribute that change to? What I just said. Hmm. That that death is a part of life. Mm-hmm. And grief is the greatest expression of love. 
Yeah. I saw somebody say it's like the final act of love. Mm-hmm. It is. I didn't understand that mm-hmm. until I lost in that. Yeah. And I realized that that was another thing I had always asked God. Teach me the ultimate love. Mm. And he did. Yeah. I think it, it's crazy you say that because I was talking to, you know, Trey. We did one of these the other day. And it's like you realize, not that I didn't realize how much I loved my mom like right. but while she was here, but and I realized how much she loved me, but ha- to have her not here and, you know, we've talked about me and you, like the ways that she shows up like spiritually and stuff. And I feel like it really does kind of drive home just how much you right. love them and how much they love you. And I find that found myself feeling like I loved my mom more than I knew I possibly could after I lost her because she's just been so intentional in being around and being here. Right. And because of the way you were with your mother, she my was that bestie. way with you. Yeah, my best friend. Because your pop-pop and I always showed her that same kind of love. Mm. Your mom used to hop in the bed with me. <laughs> yeah. We used to watch TV together. We did, I mean, we did a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But she always, you always want your children to do better. To go further and do better. Mm-hmm. And she did. She just took it and ran with it. Yeah. So she was even a better mother. You think than you? Yeah. Wow. Mom, if you're hearing this, she would eat that up. Oh, but I she told would also. Her that. I told her that time and time again that she was a better mother than I would ever be. Mm. So do you think that. And any... patting myself on the back. I know yes. I'm a good mom. Oh, and a great grandmother. <laughs> so. Uh, do you think that any part of losing your mom sort of early has kind of like morphed into you being a better mom or grandmom or even just the experience you had growing up? Do you think it's made you better? Yeah. Cause I got, you know, um, pop pop used to tell me all the time. Cause I would be, I used to focus when, when mom died, I used to focus on how much I disliked my aunt Mm -hmm. and I took care of her. When she, as she got older, um, uh, her aunt came to live with us. And these are older women. And Aunt Becky couldn't take care of herself. So I would have to put her on the bedpan, get her off, and do these kind of things, you know, and make sure. And I was still maintaining a 4.0 in high school. Wow. Taking care of them, getting up, doing breakfast for them every morning, mm-hmm. dinner in the evening, keeping my schoolwork together. Mm-hmm. And all of this, and I never heard her say thank you. Wow. I never, you know, um, Aunt Becky, the one I used to have to change her her bedpan and get her ready, I used to have to stand behind her. That's why my back bothers me now, because I would stand behind her and get her either up the steps or down the steps. Mm-hmm. And then I would bring her wheelchair either up the steps or down the steps and get her ready for the day. Mm. And um, I would have all of this done by 7.30 in the morning. And then have to go to school. And then have to go to school. Wow. And go to school with a smile on your face. Mm. It sounds like you've had to sort of do that a lot throughout your life. I think, yeah. you know, I think it's a condition of women, but specifically women who really care about their family. You're kind of just supposed to grin and bear it and then and then move forward. But I, I do have a question for you. So as somebody who's been grieving their mom for, for like 40-ish years, yeah. what advice would you give um, somebody who's new in their grief for loss of their mom? Don't force the end of that grief. Mm. Let it end naturally. and it Because the grief is never going to completely go away. Mm-hmm. But try to make sure that the memories that you think of more often are the good ones. Yeah. You know, like things that you all did 
your mother mm. left you with a treasure trove uh, of so many beautiful videos, pictures, cards. I mean, trips, whatever she left that for you. So that's not to say that your grieving is going to be any easier. It might make it harder. Some days. But the memories, like, see, I don't have, I never, um, I had little snippets mm -hmm. in life. I didn't have lifelong memories. Yeah. I've made my good memories with my children and my friends and things of that nature. And your grandchildren. And my grandchildren. My <laughs> and gosh, now great-grandchildren. Yes. And my great-grandchildren. And I know I'm doing good because they all come to me. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, man, I got to move. See my grandmother. It's not like that. It's like, yay, I'm going to see grandma, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love my kids when, you know, when we talk and kid with them and laugh with them. So there's a lot, you know, we didn't have the cell phones and right, the computers and, the and all that kind of stuff. But I would tell them that if their mom or dad or whoever hasn't gone yet, pull out your computer, pull out your cell phone, make some, you know, little videos, kid around, laugh, talk. Dance, yeah. Do whatever to have those type memories to play in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely been beneficial for me. Um, but and don't let anybody tell you, okay, it's time to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or time to start moving on. It, or time because people will try on. to tell you that yeah, it's time to start moving. They on. can't dictate mm -hmm. how long it's going to take. So if your mom was sitting right across from you right now, like just imagine your mom was here, what would you say to her? I love you. Mm. That's such a beautiful sentiment. It's so simple, but it's so powerful, especially, you know, given all the things that you went through and the time that you really did and did not have with her. Right. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want her to think that because she, I wouldn't want her to feel guilty. Because mm -hmm. I understood, I mean, I didn't understand at first, but I do now. Mm -hmm. at, at almost 75 years old, I understand the pressures mm -hmm. that she went through. Yeah. Back then I didn't. Yeah. But I do now. And I want, I would never want her to feel guilty because I would always tell her, Mommy, I love you. And look how I turned out. Hmm. Wow, I don't really think there's anything else to say on that note, <laughs> Mama. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we say goodbye? Mm -mm. Wow. That's so special. Yeah. I Thank think I you. opened up to you more. Yeah. Today. Did you did you expect to? No. I didn't. What made you do the show or do the podcast? Um I just wanted to see how it would do. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see what it would be like because nobody has ever asked me hmm. how I felt. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Nobody's ever asked me how I felt. Yeah. It was It was never... There's a, a, a young woman. Well, she's been married as long as I have, almost. I think she's been married 50 years. I've been married 56. And she lost her husband. Mm -hmm. Two weeks before we lost your mom. Mm -hmm. And she wrote every day and posted stuff on Facebook and told people, y'all just going to have to put up with me because I've got to get this out. Mm -hmm. That's been me. And I admired the fact that she did that because... I don't know what I would do Yeah. if something happened to it. Pop, Pop up. up. But in the same respects, I don't know what he would do. Definitely. That's one of my biggest worries. Mm. So this year we made cookies. Oh, that's so sweet, Mama. Wow. Well, so 
I guess those there are things you can do to prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. And um because it's gonna come. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of when mm-hmm. and how. Wow. Well, is there anything you'd like to say before we go? No, I just thank you. Oh, Mama, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Well, guys, this was another great episode of Damn Mom. Really, I am super blessed and fortunate to have you guys here uh, with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, we tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. Then every time we feel this sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain, and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow, instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. Five, last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed. Good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas, really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. Allow the sensations to grow and don't stop them, just see what they do. Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good, you're doing so well. Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. It could be an imaginary place like on top of a gorgeous mountain or somewhere you frequently go like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? Gaze all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. 
Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in, and as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you are ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.